I will say this, when we provide all the details, I believe our community will be shocked. This is Where's Jolene, covering the search for Jolene Cummings and the search for answers in one of Florida's most puzzling murder cases. Episode 3 ended with investigators telling Nassau County hairstylist Kimberly Kessler they believe her co-worker Jolene Cummings is dead and that she has information about the mother of three's disappearance. She, she's out there somewhere, her body's out there somewhere. Let us get her buried properly or whatever, whatever final arrangements they need to take care of. Uh, you know, I, I just want you to think about it for a minute. Um, we're going to find out what happened. I don't mean that in a threat. I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, I've been here for four days, almost you know, 16, 18 hours a day, because I'm going to find out where the, those little boys' mama is. I promise you I'm going to do that. You can help me do that. The state attorney's office released the three-hour interview video after Kimberly Kessler's arrest. Investigators began by asking for her help finding Jolene. And you're the one that can make it happen right now. No, I cannot, and I'm not, again, whatever fury may come, I how just can't. How do your blood get on you? Detectives ask Kessler point blank about blood found on her shoes, blood they say belongs to Jolene. This is where Kessler ends the interview. So let me reply this way, and you may not like the answer. I would like legal counsel. Kessler, she makes it clear she does not want to talk to police without a lawyer. Investigators make it clear what they want. Hey, I'm going to reunite those boys if it's nothing but with their mother's body. I know that's the same. I know she's dead. Okay? All right. If you need something, just knock on the door. We'll let you go to the restroom or, or, or get some water, whatever you want, okay? All right, I'm good. Thank you. go by, no sign of the mother of three. While much of the focus falls on Kimberly Kessler, Jolene Cummings' family and friends grieve her absence. How would a parent feel? How would a parent feel not being able to bring your child home? I think about her every day, every day. I have a picture at work with, you know, my workplace and um, just as a memento, because we, we just all cared for her so much. Throughout this investigation, the state attorney's office releases documents to the public as part of the discovery process. Hours of audio and video evidence, hundreds of pictures, and Kimberly Kessler's internet searches. Pieces of a puzzle the state will use as evidence against Kessler to make their case. Surveillance video behind the Tangles hair salon reveals Kessler throwing something away less than 24 hours after Cummings was last seen. This newly released surveillance video shows Kimberly Kessler throwing heavy trash bags in a dumpster behind Tangles salon. 
hours after Jolene Cummings, a mother of three, vanished. Deputies say the dumpster Kessler put trash into empties into the Chesser Island landfill in Folkestone, Georgia. Friday, Nassau County Sheriff Bill Leeper, as well as the FBI and other agencies, announced all other leads had been exhausted, and it's time to take on an exhausting task. But we have now determined that a search of the landfill is necessary to ensure that we have done all we can do to find clues and answers for Jolene's family based on what we know at this point. This is the portion of the landfill 25-person crews will be searching. It's roughly the size of a football field, and federal investigators from all over the country will be working from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. for an estimated seven days. We do not yet know exactly what items were placed in the dumpster, but we believe, based on what we do know, that it is worth our time and effort to try to find out. It became a tedious search at the height of a steamy Florida summer. On May 17th, the FBI contacted the landfill and made sure no trash was being dumped. Federal investigators will arrive here early tomorrow morning to try and find what Kimberly Kessler threw away. The FBI shared these pictures of the landfill. The area outlined in red is where they will be searching for the next seven days working in 12-hour shifts. They say there's 2,700 tons of trash and it's 12 feet deep in some spots. There's going to be heat, there's going to be rain, there's going to be other issues we're going to be dealing with. I asked Action News Jack's law and safety expert Dale Carson, a former FBI agent and local attorney, for his insight into FBI search of landfills. One of the things that's critical in these particular cases is the chain of custody. Now, chain of custody, what that actually means is that generally if there's a crime scene that occurs, there is a police response at some point. And in order to preserve the integrity of the chain of custody, you have to identify the evidence first, then you have to properly collect the evidence, and then you have to store it. I mean, those are the three uh, mechanisms that have to occur when you're recovering evidence from a crime scene. Well, rather obviously, if you're recovering evidence in a landfill, unless the crime actually occurred in the landfill, there's a break in that chain of custody. And that can affect its admissibility uh, into court if there's a prosecution. Now, the ultimate question is the reliability of the evidence. You may be able to show that it's directly connected with the crime scene. For example, you may find a gun, a knife with the victim's blood on it. You may find the victim's body, but if you can't connect it to the crime scene, it may be difficult to connect it directly to the individual that you suspect of the crime. Investigators picked through 2,700 tons of trash looking for the contents of the salon dumpster. After a seven-day grueling search, the sheriff's office announces the end of their search, saying several items were discovered that had piqued their interest. They were sent to the FDLE lab for testing. Dale Carson also talked about technology that could help agencies link suspects to other crimes. Now, there is a, a, an individual a group, I should say, in the FBI called VICAP, V-I-C-A-P. VICAP stands for Violent, let's see, Violent, VICAP, Violent Criminal Apprehension is what it is, VICAP. And 
what it does is it looks at the techniques used in a death and determines whether or not there are other similar deaths, meaning profiles, in the United States for which a given individual might be identified as being responsible. But that's a specialized unit. And in this case, we don't have something, for example, a body. What was the technique of the death? We don't know. And the suspect, if she is actually guilty of the crime, is not talking about what the actual manner of death was. So the federal agency really doesn't have a basis with which to conduct further inquiry. So individual investigators in Nassau County are going to put on the inlets, which is a computer system that talks to all of the other investigative agencies in the country and let them know what they have and ask those individual departments. It's sort of like sending an email where you've attached every member of uh, an investigative, of, of all of your uh, connections, your contacts, and sending out a, a bulk email to everybody. The same thing happens, only it's done through a special law enforcement computer. computer. And all of those agencies will look at that information to determine whether or not they have any unsolved murders related to that. But the fact that she traveled all over the country and used a variety of names is kind of a sidelight to the entire matter. It really doesn't mean anything unless she's been engaged in criminal activity while using those false identities. And I'm not aware of anything specifically that indicates she was doing anything criminal uh, under those assumed names. Although today, the use of a false name is a criminal violation. Certainly that wasn't true 20 years ago. And that was the whole impetus of people moving from one part of the country to another so they could start their lives over and use a different name and nobody cared. Today, we're not allowed to do that because the government has cracked down on this in light of the 9-11 um, aircraft hijackings and bombings, essentially. Carson, who's had decades of FBI and law enforcement experience, says he's puzzled by Kimberly Kessler. What's rather interesting is she refuses to talk, but given her personal history, the history of not of using false names and hiding for whatever apparent reason, it may be that she really is only hiding from some mental fabrication that she herself has created when nobody's really looking for her, but she just thinks there is. And that does occasionally happen, but it's unusual for her not to disclose information about what happened in these circumstances. Generally, police are very good at getting people to confess the matters, but obviously that hasn't happened here which makes this case rather unusual. We've only scratched the surface in this episode. Next, using video and photo evidence released by the state attorney's office, we retrace Kimberly Kessler's steps in the days after Jolene Cummings disappears. Next on Where is Jolene? Detectives work to retrace Kimberly Kessler's steps around the time of Jolene's disappearance. The store clerk who says Kessler came into his store. There was a female that came into the store the other night, right here? Yes. And y'all sat there and talked for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she had me uh, call her a uh, taxi. Here from the cab driver, police say picked Kessler up 
less than 24 hours after Jolene's disappearance. There was a female, she was dressed in like a black workout outfit. And the conversation he says took place on their short ride. She was asking me if I was a born again Christian. This is an Action News Jack's presentation. Where is Jolene is written by Bridget Matter and edited by Nick Longo.